The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we'll review Austin's tough two-loss week, and then we'll preview the upcoming Seattle match, and then look forward a little bit to the playoffs and cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and we've spent a lot of quality time together over the last few days. We have, and we didn't break up. I know we didn't. I, I, was, I was like thinking this morning... Like I, I want like a dramatic story or like something to to really like you know give the people what they want, but it was like a pretty well behaved, calm, like friendly weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we had a lot of fun with some some folks in Nashville as well. There's, I think, the other big away trip I've gone to was Atlanta, and there's a lot of people there that I already knew, and it's been a lot of time with. And so I kind of just fell into that and was spending time with the people I already knew. And in this Nashville trip, there were fewer of those people and still a big group, but fewer people that I'd really spent a lot of time with. So uh, it was a really fun opportunity to get to get to know some new people, spend some time with some new people, meet some folks who listen to the show and uh, get their their takes on it and their input on it. But I was a lot. Oh, minus the game, it was a lot of a really fun weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the way I have to explain it to everyone. It's like, how was Nashville? It was great other than the game. And um, I, do, I feel the same way. Uh, I, I maybe appreciate a little bit having to get outside of the comfort zone of just hanging out with the people that have always known. And I think specifically, we had a delightful time with Los Logans, who you know, sent us, uh, sent us a supporter section report from week to week. But I, don't, I have not spent a lot of time with before. And we had a nice little breakfast, went to Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Bar and Grill and Steakhouse and... <laughs> whatever else it was with him and just kind of walked around the city. I thought that was a lot of fun. It really was. Um, yeah, Los slogans and then getting to hang out with uh, Alex Camacho and his wife. He's, he's the guy with the big soccer ball helmet. And then uh, Joseph and Destiny, we spent quite a bit of time with them as well. But yeah, it was a pleasure hanging out with you all and I uh, hope to get to do it again soon. For sure. And then you came back and went to, did you go to the going away party for Mateo? I did. Yeah. So Mateo Clark, uh, a lot of listeners will know of him or know him. Those of you who don't, uh, he is leaving town. He'd got uh, a new job and is moving to Colorado and uh, will be leaving our little soccer community. And so I wanted to just give a little tribute to him because there, there are a ton of people who have dedicated their time and their energy and their talent to making this soccer community what it is. And then there's a smaller group of people who were kind of like the leaders of that and and really had a vision of what it should be and put in the work and and lent that vision to the group for what it was going to be. And Mateo Clark is one of those people, especially um, in the Morga. Uh, back whenever it was a very small group and I was still a member um, Mateo and Rigo were, were, and, and Faris as well, were, were the, the people who were really laying the groundwork for what that, that group would be, and then helped it get there once they started getting the numbers, whenever the, uh, like game day actually came around. So, um, Austin soccer will forever be in debt to Mateo Clark and, and we're going to miss him a lot. So best of luck to, to him and his wife, Laura, and their, their move to Colorado and hopefully 
they can get back for a playoff game sometime. Yeah, let's hope for that. I don't I don't have a lot to add just in terms of the influence because I think you nailed it. And we did, I think we interviewed Mateo and Rigo at some point on some version of this show, sort of about the vision. And I would love to go back and listen to that show and see what they thought things were going to be like because it was before we even started playing and then see what they actually came out to be because I can't even imagine that in the guise of those heads that what we got is what is what they expected. But he was just one of the most caring and thoughtful people I know, like period, just like really intentional about everything and really, I don't know, just like a deep, deep, a very deeply feeling person. And there's not enough of those. And I appreciate that from him beyond his influence over like the game day atmosphere. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into some Austin FC news. So Abner Zuniga was called up to the U15 uh, U.S. youth national team. This Is this our sixth youth call-up at this point? That would be our sixth youth call-up. I can't and name this them is, all off the top of my head right now, but yes. Oh, that's let's right. try it. Uh, Owen Wolf, Michael Burton, Irvin Torres, uh, Brian Ariano, Abner Zuniga, and who am I missing here? He's a U19. Oh, um, Anthony Gonzalez. Yes, you got it. Good job. What do I win? <laughs> you get to keep doing this show with me. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Um, this was another one of those. It's just a camp, so they didn't actually play any competitive games or anything like that. So we don't have anything to report on that camp. We'll probably never hear anything from that camp. I think the best sense of how this camp went for Abner is if he gets called into another one in the future. Uh, that's that probably means he looked good and that the the coaching staff liked him. So we'll be on the lookout next time they do that and uh, and see if Abner can make it. But big things coming from the academy again. Yeah, it's just good to see every one of these just reinforces the thing that Claudio and uh, the team are trying to build around the academy system. All right, should we jump into this week's games, Jeremiah? We should. We like we had plenty of time to talk at the airport about how we might try to tell a good story about this week's games. So. We'll see how this all turns out. I'm as interested as everybody else is in like how we how we spend this. This is a little bit of a throwback to 2021 and having to stretch those muscles about making a two-loss week compelling, especially coming off the insanity that was LAFC and that post-game show and then very excited show on Monday. Yeah, so um, first loss was against Portland, ended 1-2 to two in favor of Portland. Uh, and then the second one was a 3-0 loss in Nashville. Uh, there's quite a few similarities between these two games. They're not entirely similar, but there are some themes running throughout. So both teams are teams who like to defend deep. Uh, they try to capitalize on set pieces and transi- transition moments. This is what both of these teams did to Austin. And so it's a little bit concerning that it happened two weeks in a row heading into the final stretch of the season and into the playoffs. And I'm, it's starting, I I think a lot of Austin fans are starting to worry, like this is a blueprint to beat this team and what's going to stop every team we play from doing this again. And it seems like a lot of the teams that we would play in the first round of the playoffs are teams that this is their style. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's not common everywhere, but it seems like the, there's a good chance that whoever we end up against, that's going to be kind of the way they play. Or they're going to be the LA Galaxy, which we've seemed to have nightmares against no matter what. Yeah, and I think one of the major issues in both of these games is that they're games and teams where 
Austin needs to strike first. They need to score first in order to keep those teams from then bunkering and living on the counter. I looked back through all of Portland and Nashville's games. Both of them have only won one game where they didn't score first. And so in in those games were respectively against San Jose and sporting Kansas city. So uh, San Jose is a super chaotic team where scoring first doesn't really mean anything for either team. And then Kansas city is a team that just hasn't been very good for most of this year. And so it's been a track record that if they score first, then they, there's a decent chance that they're going to beat you. And if they do not score first, then the other team is going to have a decent chance. And Austin failed to do that. And I think for a couple of different reasons. So against Portland, we actually looked pretty good for big stretches of this game and got some decent chances. Um, do you have the stats for that one pulled yeah. up as far as how many shots we had? Yeah, I do. And I don't, we had more, we had 26 shots. Now only five were on target, but I don't think I've ever seen Austin have 26 shots in a match on that one. Also 70% possession. And a lot of times we have possession and we have this like the classic horseshoe of sadness thing. But I feel like against Portland, there's a lot of possession that just, it just broke down in the final third, right? Like there was possession, there was dangerous. And then when it came to the last ball, there was a shot and the shot as the number show was almost always off target. Like the, just the, the finishing was not clinical or as one would say, the finishing was not ruthless. They also had five blocked shots. And so I think that's part of Portland having 11 guys in the box after they get the first goal. And so like credit to Portland, they actually did defend really, really well, but they're already a team who are going to defend deep and try to hit you on the counter and hit you on set pieces. And if they get a goal early, like they did, they're going to sit even deeper and live even more in those zones. And so, um, it was always going to be really hard to break down that low block. Once we went, went down a goal against Nashville, I think it was a slightly different scenario because we, we didn't give up the first goal until the second half. It was in the 49th minute. So the whole first half, again, we look, we look decent. I don't, I don't think we looked as good as we did against Portland, but in this game, again, where you need to kind of capitalize on, on the moments they give you with, with a team that defends as well as this team does, you have to capitalize on these moments. And I think one of the problems, not the only problem, and I don't think he played terribly is Owen Wolf. Um, I think he played fine. He he was really clean with the ball, a really high pass completion percentage. But in moments where we needed to be decisive and aggressive, Owen consistently slowed the play down and played conservatively. And there was one moment specifically in the Nashville game that um, we, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of a transition moment. He was pushing the ball through midfield Fagundes was making a run off the backside and there was a gap there for him to play a pass. It would have been a hopeful pass. It would have been a difficult pass, but against a team like Nashville, you have to be brave in those moments. And Owen almost never was. And he's 17. You have to cut him a break, but at the same time, you have to be realistic about like in those moments, like Alex ring probably would have been pretty useful and would have made a different decision. 
Yeah, uh, standing next to you in those moments, I could say you were much kinder. <laughs> You're much kinder about it now than you were in the stadium on Saturday night. This is another thing that we've never actually stood next to each other. I guess we have a, a, a Houston game, maybe in one of the Dallas games, we stood next to each other. But did did uh, <laughs> I don't want you to go into too much detail here? But was you were you surprised by the difference in my demeanor <laughs> there and yeah, here? That's I think that's fair. Yes. Yes, there's a lot more passion and a lot less analysis in the moment uh, in, the, in the stadium than there was. And I, maybe just out of frustration, because I don't feel like it was necessarily that way. Because I think that Houston game we went to, I believe, was the one that we won there. Like, yeah. So that, that was a little more chill. But yeah, it was, it was an emotional night. I keep my secrets in Section 232. <laughs> um, so and one thing that Josh Wolf pointed out in the press uh, the uh, the post game press conference against Nashville was that a lot of their transition moments and I think this is happening in both games were coming from our offensive set pieces and throw-ins and so we would be in a in a moment in a position where it should be a beneficial moment in the game for Austin and the other teams are turning it into dangerous moments against us and it's like disappointing and frustrating that that's the case, but it's also, as Wolf pointed out, a thing that you can fix. Like that's like a shift here, uh, maybe a positional change here that can help mitigate that. I think part of it is also um, you have to win. Ta- like I saw one moment where Nick Lima is one of the deeper guys. He steps up to kill the transition and misses the tackle and they get past him. And so now we have one guy deep on their own. And so we need to be more effective in those moments, but there are some tactical things that you can change that help those, those moments. Yeah. I thought one thing that was seemed really obvious, which you mentioned against LA was this like Nick Lima long throw to put the ball in Julio's head. And I feel like every long throw this week was Nick Lima trying to put the ball in Julio's head. And eventually that gets like so predictable that anybody can game plan around it. And I just, I felt like those were not dangerous and, we also didn't change up what we were doing in those moments. Yeah, I, I think it it could also be a, partially due to the opponent. Um, Nashville has some big guys. Portland has some big guys that are going to be in the box matching up on those, uh, on our big players. But I think you're right. Like, it's not, if you watch any film at all in Austin, it becomes very apparent that that's the game plan. And so they can they can plan for that as well. So I, I think there needs to be a bit of a plan B or um, a moment where you read the scenario that's in front of you and maybe call an audible there and change it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, it, it were, they weren't super effective this time around. Yeah, so, so let's walk quickly through the goals for each game. So starting with Portland, the first one comes in the 17th minute and it's Bill freaking Tuiloma again. Yes. I first of all, I can't remember who this conversation was with, but um, we had a, I guess like a, <laughs> a cursing session around Bill Tuiloma in Nashville, <laughs> and also pointed out that I think it's really funny that there's a 27 year old named Bill. Oh, that's right. We did, we did talk about that too. <laughs> well, then that one. Um, so that was the only goal that first half, and I remember thinking we have seen Austin lose one nil to Portland on a bill to a Loma goal. And for a long time, that seemed like that was going to be the case. Yeah. And then the second one comes from 
uh, Zach McGraw in the 73rd minute. That one was, I think it was a recycled set piece that um, they end up playing a, a really hard ball into the box either. Uh, it was a shot because Stuver ended up saving it. And it's like one of those where you watch it and it's like, there's no one person entirely at fault for this one. It's just like everybody needed to do like 10% better to prevent this one from going in. So I think Fagundes and ring probably could have bit put a bit more pressure on, I think it was uh, Eric Williamson who played, who played the initial shot in. Um, then Stuver maybe could have uh, parried it away in a slightly different direction or with a bit more strength. And then the center backs maybe could have um, reacted a bit faster to put some pressure on, on McGraw's. He was uh, finishing that one, but uh, just kind of an unfortunate one. Austin finally gets one back in the 79th minute. Um, it's one of those moments where it seems like Drew UC just it's like, I'm just going to score a goal now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, a really, a really nice pass from uh, Felipe in that moment. He receives it in the box and does one of those, like, I feel like Maxi does this a lot, but he's facing one way and then just does like a sneaky little like spin turn and either shoots or passes the ball. And Felipe just does that and just kind of chips the ball up into the air. And Drew is able to get a really strong header on it and get it past the keeper there. But um, we had quite a few chances throughout, but that was the only one that we were able to get in. Yeah, that, that was his... At that point, he had gone 11 straight MLS matches where he could contribute to at least, at least a goal, equaling the third longest single streak Single season streak in league history, which, uh, spoiler, that will not continue. That, that streak will end <laughs> um, at 11. And at that point in time, he also led Major League Soccer with goals scored uh, with 20. We didn't talk about the weather for that one also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this game starts uh, a little over two hours late. Is that right? It's right at, I think it's right at two hours. Okay. Uh, lightning starts happening right was it right after? I think they had already come out and warmed up. They had they they'd started warming up, and then the lightning started, and they had the whole something we never dealt with before. And I, I hope to never have a. I guess that this will be a common theme among these two games is the lightning delay. But I hope to never have one that's that that long again. Um, it, I think it, it would have kind of been fun if it were on a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> but the fact that it was a Wednesday night made it a little bit brutal. We we took some of. Uh, uh, Ashley's coworkers with us and they had never been to a soccer game before. And I like, just felt bad. Like this was their experience. They were troopers and, and had fun with it, but it, it, the, it went faster. Like the delay went faster than I expected it to. And I thought the like in stadium staff did a good job of keeping fans up to date on what was going on. And that made it psychologically a bit easier to, uh, to make it through it. But I, <laughs> Uh, Kevin Morris was tweeting at Anthony Precourt telling him it was his birthday and trying to get a free beer out of it. And, uh, Ashley noticed that on Twitter and gave me this idea, but I went and bought a beer and took it up to Kevin Morris's seat and gave it to him for his birthday. Did you tell, did you tell him it was from Precourt? Did you like, were you, were you <laughs> honest have. about it? <laughs> um, and, and so like, it, it went by faster than I thought it was going to be, but it was still not fun to get home that late on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Yeah, I thought Merkin did a good job of keeping the keeping the crowd like fired up. They kept they played all all, all throughout. 
I thought unlike a certain stadium in Columbus, Ohio, like the roof did a good job. Like other than uh, <laughs> when it was super windy, like we stayed dry the whole time. Um, and then for a Wednesday night with a two-hour range delay, like the crowd and the crowd that stuck all that out, I thought was amazing. Like that was a better crowd yeah. than Dallas or Houston get, you know, on any Wednesday on night. A, yeah, absolutely. It's better than what they get on some weekdays, That's true. Like weekends. Weekend games too. That's true. So shout out to everybody that stuck around for what ultimately ended up being a disappointing effort, but uh, it was still a relatively fun Wednesday night. Yeah, and like that whole game, it was, I didn't feel like Austin played poorly necessarily. It was just one of those things where uh, Portland's game, it was a combination of the early goal feeding into what Portland wanted to do anyway. But then towards the end of the game, there were not, it wasn't necessarily us like giving balls away or anything like that. It was just, you need you have to capitalize on margins when you're playing against a team that defends that well and defends that deep. It's there's like one, one moment not to pick on Danny Pereira here, but there was, this is just a, an example where he receives the ball in kind of like that little half space pocket. And if he turns really quickly and plays it immediately, he has Drew C open in the box, but Portland does a really good job of closing that down. And those are, those are those margins that like in that situation, you have to capitalize on them. You have to execute just a little bit sharper, a little bit faster, a little bit better than what you can do on a normal night against a a team that is not playing so deep and we weren't doing it. And it's just like, those are the moments you have to create the little bits of magic you have to create to be able to break down a low block like that. Yeah. And I felt like almost all night still, there was a chance it would be a draw that we would get some like Drew see magic twice or something, especially after the first one came and maybe get out of it. I think the other big performance that we maybe want to talk a little bit about was the very controversial Emiliano Rigoni 28 minutes that he played that got the whole internet ablaze. Um, <laughs> I think we can talk reasons. about his, his two games. Okay. Together. We'll say, we'll say, okay, we can save that for the next. Sounds good. Um, is there anything else about the Portland game that you wanted to hit on, or should, can we move on to Nashville? Let's move on to Nashville because the other things that we that I want to talk about are probably common to both. Okay, cool. So yeah, um, first goal, and this one doesn't come until the 49th minute. So Walker Zimmerman header. Uh, this one is a combination. I, I think it's it really comes down to intensity and fight in these set pieces. And so Julio Cascante was marked up on Zimmerman towards the top of the box. As soon as like the, the sign is given Zimmerman just tears across the six yard box, gets up in the air. He, which he can do. He can jump really high. He's a really good athlete jumps up and just hammers the ball into the ground. Nobody even really close to him. I think, um, Kolmanich was kind of the zonal marker in the space where he ended up and was jumping and didn't see Zimmerman coming over him. So I think he maybe could have done better to, to like go at it a bit more aggressively and step towards it. But, uh, Cascante was just a, a little too casual, uh, against a guy like Zimmerman. Like, you know what Zimmerman can do in those moments. And Cascante just got beat really easily. Uh, the second goal doesn't come until the 82nd minute, but in between those, there were lots of pretty scary moments where, <laughs> um, Austin would just get caught in transition and, and, ended up in some pretty dangerous uh, transition moments. Luckily, they weren't able to capitalize on those, but then uh, they get one in the 82nd minute. I can't remember what this goal was. 
Well, it's a honey Mukhtar goal. It was the, he kind of, he hits it across the face of goal and sneaks it into the far post, but I can't remember how that's we that got one, there. Right, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that one. Um, and I don't, Oh, okay. I remember the second one now. The ball is being, uh, there's like a header that gets popped up in the air. It falls to Ruben and instead of heading it back up field, he chests it down and tries to like trap it with his foot and it squirts out from under his foot and they end up breaking and Mukhtar finishes it past Stuver there. So that one was an individual error by Gabrielson. Uh, the next one, the last one to make it three nil, they break on us late. We're, we're pushing numbers forward and they break on us. I believe it was, um, Oh, Dax McCarty springs Shaq Moore with a, actually a really nice pass upfield. Moore's running up the right side. So, um, Cascante is the deeper man here, but Gabrielson is closer to Moore. And so he's sprinting back towards his own goal and sees Mukhtar even with him running up the left side. He starts motioning to Julio to stay on that side. I'm going to catch up with Moore and pressure him wide. Stay over there because Hani Mukhtar is coming up the field and he's going to score a goal if he gets the ball. Julio either didn't see it or chose to ignore it. He ends up coming across the field. Um, maybe he he thought Gabrielson wasn't going to get there in time and he needed to come. In any case, he comes across the field pretty late in a moment where had he committed to that earlier, Gabrielson could have changed his trajectory and maybe got backside to Mark Mukhtar. But because it happens so late, Gabrielson starts running over there. Moore is able to play it right across to him and Mukhtar finishes pretty easily. So um, communication breakdown there, really frustrating just because it seems like little things like that happen so often with Cascante where he has a pretty good game and then just has a couple of moments where he shuts off and we get punished for it. Yeah. And ultimately it doesn't matter that much, right. In terms of the outcome of the game, like it's two nil and we're 90 plus minutes, but it also put Mukhtar in the lead for the golden boot, I believe. Right. Wasn't that the goal that pushed him yeah. ahead of Drew Um, and you're right. It's just kind of illustrative of, uh, of what can happen. And the only other thing that happened in the match was Musa Jite got himself, what, two yellow cards, both in? Yeah. Extra time and ended up with a red. It was really weird. So I don't really understand what each of the cards was for. Here in the match summary on MLSsoccer.com, it says the first one was for descent and the second one was for other reason. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And so I heard some suggestion in the presser and on the broadcast that it was for putting his, his hand on the back of Shaq Moore's neck. But that happened before him slamming the ball down and getting the first yellow card. So I don't know. Wolf was not happy with that. So he, he gets the first yellow card because he reacts to a foul that gets called against him. He has the, he is like fighting for a ball in the box and pushes past Zimmerman and kind of like throws an arm back. It, I couldn't see a good angle of it on the replay, but it doesn't really look like he gets him. But Zimmerman goes down like he's been punched in the face and the ref buys it. Uh, Josh Wolf was not convinced. He said as much in the press conference and 
maybe facing a fine because of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was really frustrating. Again, a thing that didn't really matter to the game because even if GTA scores right there, we're still down 3-1. Uh, but just like from a morale standpoint, those last five minutes were not great. And we and we thought for a little bit it might be just um, from a depth standpoint, maybe a problem because Maxi Aruti set this one out with an injury, leaving Husin and Jite as the strikers. Um, and Jite is going to be out with a red card, but apparently Maxi is, we think, going to be in training. pretty confident in the post-game press conference that um, that Maxi will be back this week. So if not ready to start, at least available off the bench. But he didn't seem too concerned about it. All right, we still need to talk about Rigoni's um, Rigoni's performance. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the MVP competition and then also about kind of like what the rest of the season looks like. But first, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, we are doing another ticket giveaway. Thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the next home match. To enter, go to MoonTowerSoccer.com, click on free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. And there are not very many home matches or matches left, period. So take advantage of this while you still can. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I thought I had like saved an Instagram post that I would talk about during this moment in the commercial, but I can't find it now. So my advice to you, listener, would be follow FEF Law on your own on Instagram and don't rely on me remembering to save them and send them to you to see the cool things that they're doing. You can go to FEF Law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.Law. All right, we are back. Jeremiah, let's talk a little bit about Emiliano Rigoni and his performances over these last two games. So um, I think he ended up getting. It's about 28 or so minutes, maybe 30 by the time you had um, added time in the, on the first one. And then probably close to the same against Nashville, too. So we've got almost 60 minutes of play from Rigoni so far. And so you referenced some of the the takes you were seeing online I think especially after the Portland game, what what are some of the things that you're reading about his performance? I think a lot of, I guess the, the, the highlights would be one people felt like he came in too early, like that he was probably only ready for like 10 minutes that he was like, looked like a talented guy. Some people thought he looked slow, which I did not get. Um, they looked rusty and he looked like he didn't understand the system and that he had great shoes. I'd say those are the things from, <laughs> from the Portland match that were the highlights from what I read online. And I, I mean, and I would agree from what I saw, maybe this is where we'll disagree, but like from what I saw out of that performance, like I would totally agree. That's what I felt like I saw, except for the, other than him being slow, but like I also don't think that's informative to what I expect out of him. Like they didn't change my expectations for him going forward. Yeah, I think that's fair. And like I, I definitely, I, I have mixed thoughts on some of those takes, but um, I definitely think that it looks like he doesn't really understand the system and what he's supposed to be doing within it quite yet. 
pretty often he was staying a little bit too deep. And when we would kind of push forward and get into that finishing shape, which whenever Portland gives you that much of the ball, like you're going to be pretty much living in that shape, right? He would end up kind of being in the space where we would normally want the fullback to be. So like kind of in that half space, a little bit deep where you can play that chipped cross over to the back post. And he kept being in that space and making that cross himself, which you're saying like, okay, if we're going to play a cross anyway, then what's it matter? But if the fullback is there, he can be that option wide. And that gives the fullback a second option as opposed to only crossing. He could maybe play in behind or combine, like play it out wide and make a run in behind. You just have more options and it's what the system is designed to do. And he was kind of breaking it a little bit on that side with the way he was moving and where he was playing. I would really like him to see him. Honestly, I want to see him play like Ethan Finley um, and just kind of hang on the, like the, the deepest man stay wide and just kind of be, be an option to play out wide. And then also be ready to um, if space opens to make a run in behind, to receive the ball in behind, or if you get the ball to like push past the back line and get in behind there. And it seemed like either because he would start too deep that that wasn't really an option for him. Or when he did get it, he would take on a guy and cut back inside, which like is an okay thing to do sometimes, but I don't think it's what Josh Wolf wants him to be doing in those moments. Yeah, you mentioned that's interesting that you mentioned Finley because I think for me the what made me critical was that we were attacking. Austin was attacking the south end in the second half, and like my seats are basically on the wing, right? So the, the right winger is like coming at me the whole time. So that's where I could just like see the difference between the ways they were playing and how Finley, but we scored the goal after Finley came out, but still I felt like he hit a pretty strong match. And then I feel like the offense kind of shut down when Ragoni came in. Yeah. I mean, well, so Ragoni was involved in that goal and he receives the ball probably where he's supposed to be. Like he was an option wide and then he splits the line and, and finds ring at the top of the box. And I don't know if I mean, he was just like a bit more in the right position there and it turned into that goal. And so, yeah, it's just like, I think he was kind of disrupting other people's movement and where they wanted to be. But if you look at like the average position charts that MLSsoccer.com and some other websites will put out after these games, Ethan Finley is generally our highest player. Like as far as average position goes, he's our highest player. And I haven't looked at it, but, and he was probably not even in long enough to really make one of those charts, but I would guess Rigoni is, is going to be tracking a little bit deeper into the field on those charts. Yeah. So what did you see differently from, uh, from the, or, or did you see anything differently from the Nashville match? Uh, I mean, the game was giving a little bit different looks than that one did, but it was kind of more of the same. I feel like he did a bit better to, there was one run he made in the Portland game where he ended up like inside, like at the top of the box making a run there, which I know in some teams is a thing that like you'll ask wingers to do. This system is not one where you would do that. <laughs> uh, so I feel like he stayed at home a little bit better, but was still like, I think there's moments where it would be useful for him 
to instead of cutting inside to uh, take a guy on, but push towards the the end line and get in behind that way, which is, I think that's like one of the things I was excited to see from him was somebody fast enough and skillful enough on the ball to be able to do that. And he doesn't do it. (laughs) And so that's a little frustrating and something that I'd like to see more of. I, I do think he like stayed at home and like was in more of the right spot, but still probably not exactly what Wolf wants him to do. Yeah, one of the things you've talked about is that like sort of the way to beat a team that sits in a low block. This is like be able to take people one on one and beat them, and that we haven't had a lot of that. Um, there's the potential there. Do you still is what you've seen so far? Does that change your position on like whether Brigoni has the potential to do that or not? No, I still very much believe he can. Um, there are moments where he would do that in both of these games, but he would take on one guy and then immediately play across where I think he could at times be a little bit more selfish in those moments and just try to do more. And I could see why you maybe don't want to do that in your first before you've even played 90 full minutes for a team. Um, But it's a thing I'd like to see eventually, like for him to pick those moments and say like, okay, the best thing for me to do right now is, is to be the hero and take a guy on and try to like make something special happen um, instead of, kind of doing the safe thing that being all that being said, he is still very like clearly very talented the way he, I know we were complaining about his crosses and when he was choosing to do them, his crosses are beautiful. And he, he just like, he like the way he hits a ball, the way he touches a ball, you can tell he's just like some guys like have something different and have something special. And you see that when he plays a ball, um, so that makes me really excited. One thing that I noticed in the Nashville game is he took a corner with his right foot. And so he's comfortable enough with both feet that like a lot, like if John Kolmanich takes a corner on one side, he's going to hit it with his left foot no matter what. And I think it just like presented itself where he was going to be on that side. And so he hit it with his right foot, even though he's, left footed. So like, I, I, that makes me excited too, that he just like feels that comfortable that it's like, ah, it doesn't matter to me. I'll just take it for whichever, whichever is better for the situation. Well, I think the next thing I wanted to talk about was the rotation. Um, because I feel like Austin didn't rotate the Portland match and then lost, which is basically the worst possible outcome you can have, you know, when you're playing two games in a weekend, you have to you have to rotate a little bit because I kind of put him behind the eight ball for Nashville. Like, is that how you would have played it or were you surprised? Yeah. I mean, it, it feels a little bit backwards, right? Like you feel like you would rotate the midweek game. I'm, I'm guessing that because it was a home game that Wolf wanted to take the points where he thought they were more easily achievable. And that being the home game, um, I, that's, I'm guessing that's the logic there, but, you would, yeah. Normally, you would think the midweek one was more, uh, more logical to rotate, and just makes more sense as far as like guys being tired. And we saw Maxi Ruti come out just before halftime in that game, and he's one of those guys who started, I don't know, five six weeks in a row or something like that, and in that same eleven that started that many games in a row. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. Like. 
if you don't rotate and you get those points and then you're forced to rotate on this one and we lose, then I think you live with that one. But it, it was the worst case scenario where you don't rotate and you lose and then you have to rotate again in a game where maybe you want to win it a little bit more after losing the one before. Yeah, yeah, it made, it made for a long week. I think I, I would have done the same thing Josh Wolf did just because I'm a big believer in like taking... I, I don't know. It's like such coach speak, but like taking it one game at a time, like taking the points in front of you. And it seemed like claiming those points at home against Portland would be the best opportunity to come out of this week with at least three and and not sort of saving it for Nashville. But it did not pan out that way. Yeah, it really it's It's kind of one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't scenarios where it's like. If he did rotate midweek, I bet there would have been people mad that. Like, why did you change the lineup? We were winning with that lineup. And so I think there's there would have been criticism either way. And it's it's a tough decision. And he did what he did. And, like, I, I don't have any huge complaints about it. Um, so looking at the stat, well, it was, let's talk about MVP race at this point. It kind of seems like a few weeks ago on a national stage, everyone was saying, it's Drew C hands down. He's going to win the MVP and if we stopped right now, he would win the MVP. And that sentiment seems to have shifted a bit at this point. If you, like taking Austin fandom away from it, if you had to give the MVP to a player right now, would it be Drew or Mukhtar? Taking the Austin fandom away from it. I can't do that. But <laughs> I mean, I think it would have to be Mukhtar, right? I was just looking at this. It was what, what five? It's like nine goals in his last six games or something plus three assists. I mean, he's just on fire and maybe, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Drew, he'll have his moment here in two weeks. Luckily there's like a turnaround uh, game to make up some time, but it's like Mukhtar has been uh, incredible, especially over the last few weeks of the season, which has led to Nashville um, really turning it on over the last four weeks too. Yeah. I think this goes into like plays into an age old discussion about MVP awards and what the award is actually for. Like, is it for the best player in the league or is it for the player that is actually most valuable to their team? And so I think if you're saying this is the best player in the league, I think there's still an argument to be made that Drew C deserves it over Mukhtar. But if we're saying uh, the most valuable player to their team, it's hard not to say it's Mukhtar because he has been, I don't know what percentage of their offensive output, but he is way overrepresented in those numbers and has kind of carried them on his back at times. Yeah, so he's got what? He's got 28 goal contributions now at this point. How many goals do they even have? It can't be that much more than that. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're what? Maybe like in the low, I think they're in the low 50s right now. Maybe so he said over half their goal contributions. So we're going to see Nashville again in a couple of weeks. So like it's not settled yet. I think I would give it to Mukhtar at this point. Uh, But there's still games to be played, including one against them. I think that game will be some added motivation for multiple reasons. Kind of a little bit of a revenge game. Mukhtar was talking about in his press conference after the game how like he was very candid about the fact that, yes, I am motivated by the MVP race, and I was extra motivated because we were playing against the other candidate in that game. And he had very nice things to say about Drew C. He was like, I, we, I met him at the All-Star game. He's a great guy, very humble. I think he's an amazing player. 
but also I want to beat him and I want to win that award. <laughs> and so I could imagine like for several reasons, Austin is going to be pretty motivated by that game whenever they come back. Yeah. So before we, your press conference thing reminds me before we get into sort of like playing out the rest of the season and what it might look like, Josh Wolf has seemed extra prickly in press conferences this week. Like, how do you, how do you feel about that? Uh, I, I feel like he's like, I think he's turning into the coach that he's going to become in press conferences for the rest of his life, which is very much like, I think he's, I really think he's just going to turn into Peter Vermes as he gets older. (laughs) And he's like getting that confidence and like a calmness that I think comes with success and experience where last year he was like really defensive and, um, looked really nervous and uncomfortable in press conferences. I think this year he's been much more comfortable and calm, but also like willing to like speak his mind and take jabs at guys whenever he feels it necessary. So I think if he continues down this path, he's going to end up being a guy who's like actually kind of fun in press conferences, which I'm looking forward to. I like that. I think he's, I think it's very much a, uh, which is a really easy thing to do in sports. Like he seems to really leaning into the whole like us against the world thing, right? And everybody's everybody's out here to get us, and you know here we are just doing our best and you know playing a little soccer and 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 being confident in what he's doing. That's that's kind of what I get out of him. Which I feel like it's a winning approach. That's like a lot of coaches go that way, and they see, it seems to work out for them. Yeah, I think I like I think there's a there's a a balance to it, right? As far we we talked about Bruce Arena, like he's the biggest jerk in the world in press conferences, but people don't care because he always wins. And even if you're not always, always winning, I think there's like a, a confidence and a comfort that you can go into a press conference with that. Um, I don't know. I think there's like a way to balance it. And I think he's starting to find that a bit more than he did last season. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about the Seattle match and then maybe what comes after it now? Yeah, let's talk about the Seattle game. So I'll give, I'll, yeah, I'll go over the headlines here. So Seattle is now ninth in the West. They are six back of Portland. Um, so they're still out of sight of a playoff space. They got 40 goals for and 40 goals against. One, things I know, one of the things I noticed when looking at them is they are a much, much better team at home than they are on the road. I think they've only lost maybe one home match all year. They have a plus seven goal differential at home and a negative seven on the road. So they're going to be tough there at Lumen Field. Um, in their last five, they were on a really bad run of form and had lost three and drawn one, but they just beat Houston over the weekend, 2-1. Uh, got a new who goal, so shout out to new who, uh, which apparently caused Houston's coach and entire assistant staff to get fired after less than one season with breaking news tonight. Yeah, so looking at this game, it's it's kind of hard to know what we're going to get out of it because we're talking about a winning formula that has kind of been shown to work against Austin. And it's a formula that Seattle has used against Austin before to success. That being said, they are still trying to um, make an unlikely comeback in the playoff race here to try to sneak into that seventh spot. And so I don't think they can afford to be too, comfortable against us. I think they're going to have to come at us a little bit and try to win this game. 
And so I think that that kind of plays into a few decisions, uh, including their starting lineup. So they've been kind of going back and forth between uh, a back three and a back four. And part of this is a lot of it has to do with some injuries that they've had, but Christian Roldan has kind of been the engine of this team, especially after Joao Paulo was injured in the CONCACAF Champions League super early in the season. And since that point, Christian Roldan has really kind of been the driving force behind this team. He went out injured a few weeks ago, uh, had surgery on his groin, is going to be out probably two or three more weeks. And so they're going to be playing us without him. And so I think if you're, if you're going to do like play a little bit conservatively and try to beat Austin on the break, playing that back five with uh, some aggressive wingbacks might be the way to go. But I think maybe their best team is with the back four and playing a bit more aggressively. So like, I really don't know what we're going to see from them in this game. Yeah. And I don't know that there's anything to learn out of the last game. We both went back and watched the highlights of that, but Oh, one thing I would, want to point out is we've played three times there have been three total goals scored in those three matches so i would not expect a high scoring performance i think it's like a nil nil draw a one nil loss and then a one one draw i believe are the outcomes of the three of those and the one one draw came in austin in march so looking back at the the first game this season they were still playing Concacaf champions league games and i think had played a game earlier that week and so played a slightly rotated lineup against us uh, Joel Paulo played against us earlier in the season. He tore his ACL not long after that and won't be available. Um, Christian rolled on, uh, well, I think he had the assist and the goal that they scored against us, um, in that game, he will not be available, but, uh, Jordan Morris, who didn't, uh, didn't start against us is available. Now, Raul Rui Diaz, who wasn't even, didn't even make the trip to Austin last time. He will likely be available, be available. Uh, Nico Lodero will likely be available, be available. So, and Albert Rusnak as well, uh, will be available. So although they're missing some guys and missing some really key guys, they still have some really good players on this team. And there's a reason that they were able to win CONCACAF champions league. Um, so I, I think this one's going to be an interesting one. Both teams have reasons to come at this one, uh, aggressively. I think if, if, I've, I've kind of not been paying that much attention to like all of the, if this and this and this happens, then Austin clinch a playoff spot. I think at this point, if we win a game, we're guaranteed playoff spot, right? I believe that's right. I think that's what it comes down to. Cause that would put us far. Yeah. I think I'd put us far ahead of uh, the galaxy. Well, especially this one in Seattle that we, that we, Oh would yeah. Be Cause the if they race. drop more points too. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't been paying attention to that much just because we're almost certain to have a playoff spot. My big concern now is staying in that second place spot because looking at like the likelihood and kind of the, the history of number one seeds making it deep into the playoffs, it doesn't happen all that often. So if Austin can finish with that number two seed, the chances of every playoff game being at home are very high at that point, all the way through, including into the final. And so if we drop down to third, that shifts those chances a little bit. Fourth, it shifts them significantly. And so if we can keep that second place spot, then it sets us up well for the playoffs. But also it means that we're going to win a few of these last few games. And I think that's what they need right now. Uh, we're in a rough patch. You want to be 
firing on all cylinders as you hit the playoff line. And that's what we're seeing a lot of teams do. Teams like uh, like Nashville, um, they've looked really good recently. And it doesn't really matter how good you've been the whole year if you aren't in good form during the playoffs. And Seattle is a team who generally embodies that, where they don't really care about the rest of the year. They're not really doing it this year. Um, but being in form at the right time is pretty much all that matters in MLS. And yeah. if Austin can't recover from this skid, then we're going to be in trouble in the playoffs. Yeah, it's so important when you when you're in a league with playoffs and you have this kind of playoff run. And it's you know now, now that we're done with the Eastern Conference, like nothing's super easy, but there's some winnable matches coming up. I mean, the good thing is three of the five that Austin has left are at home. Um, we have Seattle on the road and Vancouver on the road. We talked about this. We talked about this a little bit at the airport after we oh after we went through the security line behind Daryl Strawberry. Uh, Major That's League right. Baseball, Major League Baseball legend Daryl Strawberry was right in front of us. Um, but there, you know, we got Vancouver, we got Colorado, we have Salt Lake. Like there's there's the opportunity to get points here uh, and get back in form for a run into the end of the end of the year. Yeah, definitely an opportunity for some some feel good games if we can win them. On the other side of that coin, there's the opportunity for some very feel bad games if we do not win them games like rsl at home uh games like colorado at home like it's gonna feel bad if we lose to those teams and so um hopefully austin fc can recover from the little slide in form and take advantage of those opportunities step into the playoff strong yeah and one thing one other thing about that is the kinds of teams we're playing between now and the end of the year are going to be the kinds of teams we're going to play in the first round of the playoffs like exactly and quite likely these ex- one of these exact teams will be one of the teams we match up against. So if we can't catch a little bit of form and create a little positive energy here, that does cause one to worry a little bit about the start of the the playoff run. Anything else on Seattle before we move on? No, let's move on. Jeremiah, did you look up how old Daryl Strawberry is? Daryl Strawberry is 60. He looked great, didn't he? Daryl Strawberry, he did. He did. He looked like he could... He could walk out on the field like and hit a, hit a dinger right now. So it was it was incredible. Apparently, uh, remem- hard hard work the- and clean living pay off, right? <laughs> Nothing else. I remember there being a bunch of jokes about him when I was a kid, but I couldn't remember what they were. And I look, I was reading his Wikipedia page, and he had a rough go of it there for a while. So I'm I'm glad to see Daryl Strawberry looking good. Looked like he's he's doing better than he was at certain points in his life. I, I just really want Daryl Strawberry to be happy, Jeremiah. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. I would have tried to take a picture with Daryl Strawberry if he was not going to a different terminal than we did, but he took off too quickly for me to realize that it was like Daryl Strawberry headed the other way. <laughs> All right. I think that means we should end the show for talking about old baseball players. So we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your, your podcasts. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, come find us at Elviahero87 and jbentley underscore ATX on Twitter or at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out the Patreon. We, um, when we were out in Nashville, we got to return the favor and buy a round of beers for some of our Patreon members, which felt good to do, and told them that essentially you're buying yourself a beer right now. <laughs> but you should feel good about it. Yeah, I love it when Landon whipped out the corporate card for the for the rounds of beers on the on the. <laughs> the patreon at the uh um at the little beer place we went to which is pretty good um i don't remember the oh, name oh yeah it. don't remember yeah, the, name the place of it. next to the yeah it's not important whatever the place next uh, to the do- <laughs> place next to the dogwood that was not quite as loud i have not checked the the business account but it's 
almost certainly close to empty after paying for our Ubers and beers all weekend. But um, thank you very much to the Patreons for allowing us to treat ourselves to some company beers uh, while we were in Nashville. If you would like to become a member, do that and then let us know if you see us out and we'll buy you a beer as well. That That's an unofficial Patreon reward that I'm promising right now. Uh, we also encourage you to visit the Striker website where you can get a 30% discount with the code MOONTOWER22 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what can folks look out for this week? Well, this is probably not surprising, but both Chris Bills and Phil West have articles about how there is a apparently a blueprint now for beating Austin and that may lead to a playoff exit. So if you want to catch up on other opinions on this issue, like Chris and Phil are, are great writers and have good perspectives um, on how things might go. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the Seattle match and then preview the upcoming RSL match and the return Nashville trip and then cover any other Austin FC news that comes up. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never... La gente... Oh, my God.